1: Welcome back. So one of the questions that we get constantly, and Julie, I'd appreciate it if you'd go through. I know in just the past day or two, we've probably received uh, 10 emails from agents and uh, asking about switching uh, brokers or how to choose a broker. So if you can just grab one of those emails, that'd be great, or if you can find a couple of them, that'd be great too. Yeah. So um, that's one of the top questions we get. We get Obviously, this time of year, we get a ton of people asking that questions, Asking that question you know, agents that are part-time looking to be full-time agents that are not happy with their situation with their brokerage. And you know, the fact is guys, being a real estate broker is incredibly difficult. Uh, being a real estate broker in a market like this and a changing, you know, with all these different things that are happening uh, in the industry, I cannot imagine a tougher job or a tougher business to be in than, being a real, than owning a real estate brokerage. The margins are just, you know, pitiful. So just you know, as Julie's finding some emails to read, and we re- did write down ten points, that ten questions, or ten things to consider to know whether or not it's time for you to change a broker or and uh, choose a broker. I want you guys to consider this: that most brokers make less money, net profit, than the top-producing agents in their office do. Most brokers, and I want you to think about this: earn less. The total uh, profit to the company is less than three percent. Usually, it's around two percent. I know this because I coach a lot of brokers, and I go over their P&Ls, and one of the common themes amongst all these guys is how do I get rid of my brokerage, because most brokerages aren't worth anything. So um, Now, this wasn't true 20 years ago or 30 years ago, and there's a lot of things that have changed that's caused being in the brokerage business just to make you broker, but at the end of the day, I want all of you who are choosing an office or all of you who are thinking about switching offices to realize that you're oftentimes uh, the frustration that you feel is because the broker literally cannot afford to change anything. They can't afford to pay you more. They can't afford to change anything in terms of technology because it is a very very hard business to be in. And I just you know just be really clear about that and um, don't listen to uh, you know you might think that there's all this money flowing into the company and there might be, but what you don't realize is you know about. All, 98% of it's flowing back out on average uh, to overhead. There's a lot of legacy costs that brokerages have that are really obsolete at this point. And I'll give you – there was a great article on Inman yesterday, um, which, uh, Julie, I don't know if I shared that for you. I know I put it on Facebook and whatnot. But it, was, it was a great article. It talked about the fact that a lot of these uh, office-sharing environments like WeWork and Regis and all these others, they're making it so that – um, agents don't even care if their broker has a physical location. So brokers, there's a little revelation for you. Read that in an article for sure. But it, it, the way that these we works and there's a lot of these companies now in, in larger cities, um, in, in Regis and all the rest of them, the way they work basically is it's essentially a very high-end office environment where you have all of these uh, entrepreneurs that can, on demand, rent an office or a conference room. I know with eXp Realty, they have a relationship with uh, Regis that the agents can at any time get access to a Regis suite for free. Um, in other cases, I know someone who rents a Regis suite for like 300 bucks a month, and he has a private suite in this big building. Well, okay, you guys are thinking, well, I don't need office space, and you know what? You probably don't. But if you have this situation ever arise where you want to have an office meeting or meet somebody for a proposal – or, you know, whatever. Maybe you're working in commercial. Maybe you're going to be pitching to a big builder. It doesn't matter. You want to meet them in a nice environment? Well, I'm just telling you exactly how to do it. So these are things that maybe you need to consider as an individual practitioner that when you're like a lot of you who are using an old set of rules to make decisions by with regards to brokerages, uh, again, this applies to agents looking for brokers, and this applies to brokerages, brokers who, who are thinking about office space. Agents don't care about office space. Consumers don't care about office space. Um, and if you really get down to it, most of your profit is going out the window to office based on having these fixed costs that are associated with having an office and so times have changed, and um, you know it 's a shock it 's scary or it 's a revelation, and you 're feeling wonderful because you can finally get rid of that stupid lease payment you know um, but in this article, they talked about the fact that agents anytime they want, like I said, they can go to their iPhones or their whatevers, and they can click on, on an icon for Regis and within like two seconds they can have a space reserved and these Regis locations are in multiple places all over these major cities and so again if your office is in one end of town and you don't have and you need to meet somebody and they don't want to drive clear across town well that puts you know you guys can see how it competitively uh, these uh, WeWork type places are absolutely annihilating the traditional office environment. But here's an added benefit, which I really like the, the fact they pointed this out in the Inman article. A lot of these agents who are using this the, these um, shared workspaces, what they're getting business from the other entrepreneurs that are also there. One of them, in particular, uh, cited the fact that he, he gets uh, listings and buyers all the time from other people that he's running into while he, they're sitting, you, you, just basically knocking elbows with people at the shared coffee machine. Hey, what do you do? This is what I do. Oh, by the way, so they're using it as networking environments, which is, you know, that's a pretty fantastic unintended consequence that actually you know, in, increases your bottom line in multiple ways by decreasing your overhead but also increasing your opportunity to make really high-value contacts. So, you know, if you're in a major city and you're an agent and you're listing, or if you're a broker and you're listening and you're looking at your, you know, next year's business plan and you're realizing how much money you're pissing away on having that office, you might want to seriously consider taking a hard look at that. So we're going to get into uh, 10 questions that agents need to be asking um, if they're choosing, uh, a, choosing a broker or thinking about switching brokers. Surely so... Uh, read a, an yes. email that we received to kind of emphasize how frequently we get these emails about this topic.
2: Sure, and these come in many different flavors, but it usually drills down to choosing a broker, choosing you know, how do you make that decision, how do you know you're making the right decision. This is from, and I'm sorry if I screw up any names here, my apologies. Uh, I think it's Niami, N-Y-A-M-E, or Nyame, I'm sorry, Murray, who sells real estate in Atlanta, um, who is asking about changing brokerages again. I received my real estate license in 2017 and joined Palmer House Properties. I like them, but they're geared towards experienced agents. I had to join a career development team, but I didn't feel like I was really getting mentorship, so I left to join Norman & Associates. I've known the broker there for a few months, and he focuses on his agent's success and helping them grow their businesses via social media. The only issue I have is that I'm surrounded by all new agents. So the first one... Uh, was experienced agents. The second one, brokerage, now it's all new agents. There's maybe only three experienced agents here total. Prior to leaving the other brokerage, I applied for one of Atlanta's top producing agents to mentor me. At that time, she already chose someone to mentor, so I made my transition. This morning, I received an email asking me to meet tomorrow at 3 p.m. regarding mentorship. I really wanted to meet her. She kills it here. Is there anything specific I need to be asking about? Is it too too soon to consider going back to the other brokerage? Um, been having a hard time converting leads to closings is very discouraging. So that's a listener and coaching client in uh Atlanta.
1: Well, we got we, this they, question. Yeah, but <laughs> do, you, do you have others pulled up you want to read? I have
2: another I have another one. Uh, so here's okay, and so we're we're gonna address that. Here's another one. This is from Anna. Okay. Hi, Tim and Julie. And it just went away. Why did hang on a second. I got it here. Um, Thanks in advance for taking the time to read this email. I found your podcast two weeks ago and have been devouring four to five episodes every day since. It's a perfect way to enhance my two and a half hour daily commute from West Hollywood to Woodland Hills. And in California, (laughs) she's probably only driving like five miles and taking two and a half hours. Uh, I love your no nonsense approach to real estate and I feel like I'm learning so much more so much faster than I have with other podcasts. To make it quick, I'm currently studying for my licensing exam while working full time as a direct response copywriter. I've been scratching my head trying to figure out how to best make the transition from being a full-time employee to being a first-time listing agent. As you repeatedly said, this is the most profitable option. I am entertaining two options. Please let me know which one you think is best, because I definitely need an expert opinion. Option A: Continue working full-time and go after expired listings in my free time until I build a.
1: Hey, Julie, as you can skip agent. the details. Julie, okay. Julie, you can skip the details. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, so there's another we'll person.
2: We'll summarize. Yeah. Or work as an assistant. You know, you guys have all these right. choices of directions you can go. So back to
1: you, Tim. Yep. I hear your phone clicking. All right. So, guys, here's the thing. Um, I'm going to just hit a couple high notes for you, and and, and I'm not going to try to sell you these points. I'm just going to tell you what we think. Number one, when you guys get into real estate, you should not be part of a team. I know that goes against the current zeitgeist, but I don't care. And you should not also be focused on buyers. Those are the two things that everyone's going to tell you to do. Now, we're also going to tell you to pick up some buyers, but we want you to self-generate your buyers. We don't want you going out and buying buyer leads. The reason we don't want you to be on a team is because for the most part, you're never going to learn shit. You're just going to learn how to work with buyers, and even that is a skill that's frankly easily obtained. There's nothing to working with buyers. It's not a high-end skill set. It's just a, working with buyers, as Julie says, is physical labor. Working with sellers is mental labor. So the only way you're going to stay in this industry long-term or even short-term and earn any sort of significant money is focusing on being a listing agent. And I'm going to give you a real quick formula. And this is a formula that's part of our Real Estate Treasure Map. If you guys want the Real Estate Treasure Map, just go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com. It's our fill-in-the-blank business plan, but the magic number formula is kind of the bedrock of the overall plan. So here it is. And everyone listening, please remember I told you this because it will save you so much stress in your life. You will not believe it. If you're not in this business uh, and you're just getting in this business – Or if you are floundering in this business and you've been buying buyer leads or you're part of somebody's team or all these different variants that you guys always present us with, I'm going to tell you right now the only thing that matters in in real estate is listings, but here's your magic number formula. In every one of your markets, um, there's something called the absorption, and that's the number of listings that sell on average per month. You should know that number at all times, but you're also going to know it to be able to figure out uh, your actual magic number formula. But here's a rudimentary way to go about it. Let's say in your marketplace, the average sale price the average commission is nine or let's say10,000 dollars just to make the math easy, okay? So in your marketplace, the average commission is10,000 dollars. Um, in order for you to have and let's say your goal and I know this is a bigger goal than most of you have but let's say you have a goal of making 240,000 dollars a year. So in other words, if you sold two listings per year at $10,000 dollars per month at $10,000, you'd make $20,000 a month, and that's $240,000 a year. With me so far? So how many listings do you need at all times? And this is a thing that most of you won't know, so I'm going to make up a number. But how many listings would you need at all times in order to have um, the assurance or a high probability that you'll sell at least uh, two per month? In most markets, in a changing market, and we're in phase two of the real estate reset in most of the country. Some of you guys are already in phase three. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to timandjulieharris.com. Go to the upper uh, uh, Lacey Wright section. There's a search bar. Put in the word Real Estate Reset. We did four podcasts on the Real real Estate Reset, some of the most popular podcasts we've done in a long time. Uh, We tell you how to identify what phase your market's in. The content that we provided was designed so you can provide that to prospective sellers. Um, Again, this is incredibly important information for you to have, so there's homework from today's show. Okay, so back to it. If you had 10 listings at all times in most markets, even as we're transitioning from a hot seller's market to what's going to be more of a buyer's market. In some cases, it's going to be very much a buyer's market. And that is what 2019 is going to be. It's a transition year. 2020 and 2021 will probably be the same. So we're going to be in a flat market in most of the country. And in some markets, we're going to see declining prices. And we've already started seeing that in the upper end. But again, listen to that series of Ford podcasts that we did called Real Estate Reset. If you had 10 listings at all times, in a changing market, it's pretty safe to assume, assuming these are not flea bag houses and they're priced right, that you're going to have two of them sell per month. You're going to have to you know, make sure they're priced correctly, and you're going to have to you know, do the things necessary to get houses sold. But for the most part, in new listeners or experienced agents that have never actually wanted to be listing agents, here's the real honest-to-God truth of what it takes to be a successful listing agent. Number one, you have the listing when it sells. So, what does that mean? Most of the listings, most of the greatest opportunity in in the next couple years, is going to be from expired listings. And the key to being a successful listing agent is have the listing when it sells. In other words. In many markets, the agents who have been successful listing agents won't be successful agents, listing agents going forward because they don't know how to reposition houses on the market. They don't know how to get sellers to, re, uh, to reprice listings. They're going to wait too long, the listings will expire, and then the listings will get picked up by other agents, and those other agents will become the dominant listing agents in the marketplace. This is how it happens. Sellers in markets are not loyal to listing agents. I promise you, I do not give a rat's ass how long someone's been mailing postcards into a particular market or how many whatever community involvement things they've been doing, if that particular listing agent, who's queen bee or queen king right now in that particular market, if they stop selling listings and their listings start expiring, the market will forget their name inside about 90 days. And that's what's happening now, because a lot of these agents who, are sitting, who have been sitting fat and happy for the past 10 years are going to be sucking wind because they are not adjusting prices down quick enough. That is the opportunity for those of you who are wanting to become listing agents. Remember, I told you all this. So in most markets, it is not difficult to have 10 listings at all times. I do not care what your preconceived notion is. Trust me, everything's changing. And so if two listings was a lot in your mind or, you know, many of you are conditioned to take dozens of listings, and so this is easy for you. But the moral of the story of what I'm trying to explain to you is have at least 10 listings at all times. In most markets, even in a changing market, two of those listings will sell per month, which will result in you earning $240,000 a year. That's your entire business plan. I just gave it to you. Now, you obviously have to get into your MLS and know how to do the formulas and figure out all the rest of it, and that's the reason you need the real estate treasure map, so just go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Okay? So I want to all of you to keep that in mind. When you're deciding what direction to go in your bro- in your business as an agent, here's the two things I want you to remember. Okay. Do not join a team, do not buy buyer leads, do not be seduced by a broker who's Offering buyer leads because you will never have a business. You're always going to be dependent. And being dependent on somebody when you're supposed to be an independent entrepreneur sucks. So don't do it. Number two, become a listing agent. Now, if you're just getting your license, become a listing agent. Do not worry what other people tell you that you have to have a bunch of experience first. That is not true. You can become a listing agent right out of the gates. And matter of fact, your unbridled enthusiasm will be what attracts sellers to you because a lot of the other listing agents in your marketplace will probably come off as old and complacent and tired. And they're going to want to list with you. Julie and I, we've been you know, in the real estate business for basically almost 25 years. Um, our first year in the business, we sold over 100 houses per year. This is when our, in our early 20s. And a lot of those were sellers. And the reason that we did it is because we went after FISBOS and we went after expireds. And we went after them in markets where there was established agents and those established agents didn't see us coming. And we used and frankly a lot of the techniques that we're giving you guys as part of the premier coaching program we hadn't even developed yet. But foundationally that's where we are creating our coaching program back when we were selling real estate. Trust me when I tell you that if we can do it, you can do it too. Julie, are you back?
2: Yes, I think I am.
1: Yes, you are Am okay, I? so let's talk about changing brokerages i'm going to give you I'm going to give you mm-hmm. three reasons why you guys want to change brokerages, and then Julie's going to give you three reasons so we have time we do and then mm-hmm. um tomorrow we're going to give you a specific uh, we're going to give you suggestions on which brokerages we'd actually suggest you join. And I, I, I'm gonna catch shit for it. I know I will, because we're gonna have a lot of brokerages that are gonna be mad, because we're gonna be like non they're expecting us to be non-denominational, not offer opinions. But sorry, we're in the agent business primarily. Our focus is helping agents. And we've Julie and I have identified several really amazing opportunities that are uh, national brokerages that depending on, you know, your individual market and your individual goals, you absolutely positively must be considering these as options. we're going to talk about that tomorrow. All right. So when is it time to uh, change brokers or when's it time to, uh, or how do you go about choosing a broker? Now I'll give you the first one. And it's obvious. Now this is for those of you who've been in the business. If you've had, if you're looking back in the last 12 months and your personal income is flat or it's declined and it could be time for you to switch brokerages. Now, With that said, it's not necessarily, or probably not at all, your broker's fault for your income being flat or being in decline. But here's what happens psychologically, is if you are complacent in your office because everyone else is having a similar year as you are, you are not being personally challenged, and if the office itself did not create a somewhat competitive and fun environment that would be conducive to you um, improving your year-over-year revenue, then you maybe want to consider changing offices. And um, we're going to talk more about uh, this stuff in detail And point number two, which is if you're the best in your office, if you're the number one agent in your office consistently, you need to switch brokerages because you're not being challenged. You need to go where all the saber tooth tigers work. <laughs> you need to go where all the really, really good agents work. Because if you're the best in your market, if you're the best in your office, you need a bigger office. You need an environment that's going to cause you to feel more competitive because right now, what's happening for a lot of you, again, this is so far we're focused on agents who are deciding to choose brokerages, is you do not have enough momentum rolling into the new year and you're going to be complacent because you're number one again. Big freaking deal. Number one listing agent again. Number one agent again. That's not challenging to you. And what's happened, again, being clear here, hopefully all of you will agree with me on this one, is the tides have turned. The winds have shifted. You're going to be rolling into the new year with headwinds, opposed to the past seven years where there have been tailwinds, and if you're not drilled down ten times as hard as you've been in the past, you're not even going to do anywhere close to what you did this year. Number three, too many negative Nellies. I got, Julie, do you remember, um, <clears throat> what was it called, that show in the 80s, uh, uh, Little House on the Prairie?
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know. Remember,
1: remember Nellie?
2: Oh, right. <laughs> yeah.
1: It was, it was always kind of yeah. mean. <laughs> yeah. When I, yeah. Writing that, when I was writing point number three, that's where I got the idea of Nellie. <laughs>
2: that's
1: fun. So, so too yeah, many, I many negative Nellies. a lot of it
2: that
1: way, but you're right. So, yeah, right. So too many negative Nellies. If you go to your office – and there's a bunch of people being just negative, and you can define negative however you want, but let's just put it this way: If you don't like going to your office because there's too many assholes, it's time for you to switch offices. Right. Sometimes in, in a lot of these uh, offices, there's a culture that starts to uh, simmer because people what happens is the market shifts, uh, agents don't change. The broker or the office manager doesn't tell these agents that the market shifted and they need to change because a lot of the agents are going to have huge egos because they're going to think they've got it all figured out because they've been, you know, you know, they've been the saber-toothed tigers for the last few years. They don't realize that they have benefited from a historical seller's market, and they actually think that they have the skill set to survive in the new market. Now what's happened over the past 90 to 120 days is they've seen their incomes drop. And opposed to them being introspective and saying, I need to change, they've become really, really nasty. And, I, again, I see this in the emails. I see agents asking, why, is that, why are these agents in my office so mean? Because they see you as a threat, because they see you as somebody who's potentially going to be another competitor for them to take the next listing. And you will be, especially if you're joining our coaching program, It's going to teach you how to kick their butts. But the moral of the story of what I'm trying to tell you is if you're in an office and there's too many negative Nellies, you need to leave. Again, you cannot have that burden on your back going into the new year because the next few years is going to be completely different than the past few years. Point number four, Julie.
2: Point number four, too many mandatory meetings and other (coughs) time-consuming, non-dollar productive activities. Some offices are dripping in this kind of stuff. And you know, Tim, when I was reading that, it also reminds me, just because I'm doing all this fun licensing in Texas, mandatory meetings are not even supposed to be happening if you're an independent contractor. But that's an aside. okay? So whatever the convincing is that you have to go to all of these meetings, um, yeah, unless it's dollar productive, I don't know what you're thinking about. I would even put caravan in that. If you've got a buyer for that listing, you're going to show it. okay? I could go on. It's just a point of irritation for me. All right, number five broker or office manager shoots down every idea that isn't 1970s traditional real estate. The broker offers little to no tech support or has no added value for being an agent with their office. How do you know that's going on? If you can't identify what the value is of you hanging your license there, you have a problem. Point number six, broker takes a cut out of every source of income, including BPO money, home warranty uh, sales, and processing fees. You know, this is kind of nickel and diming you on every last thing. I really think taking anything out of a $50 BPO payment that's that's just not okay. All right. Uh, number seven is up to you, Tim. Back to you.
1: Well, but you know what? You should go back and drill down on that last point because a lot of agents yeah. don't know that you can earn a de- added commissions from those things. You guys don't know what BPOs are. You don't know what Julie just said. Well, but in fact, see- some of your brokers are keeping the
2: whole fee, and you don't know about this. That's true, too.
1: That's right. Well, so in the um, without spending the rest of the call today, the show today, talking mm-hmm. about those alternative, those added sources of income, We'll just leave it at this. There's lots of other ways you can make money from doing real estate transactions. You can charge processing fees. They're legal to charge. You can sell home warranties. There's a spot on your contract that's fill in the blank. Who's the home warranty? Who's paying for it? Buyer or seller? If you're the one that initiates the sale, it's like 60 or or $100 commission. You get the check in the mail. Um, you know, if if you're getting if you're doing BPOs, which a lot of you are going to be doing next year as part of taking some of these listings, a lot they'll pay you 60 sometimes 120 dollars to do what amounts to an elaborate CMA. Well, guess what? That should 100% go to you. It shouldn't go to your. It shouldn't be anything you share commission splits with because it's not a commission. But a lot of brokers, what they'll do is they'll look for every opportunity they can to take money from you, or they'll say that you can't uh, do that, uh, or you, that's, you know, that's an upcoming point. It's basically brokers that try to limit your sources of income. All right. P- uh, point number seven, did you do point number seven, Julie? You did.
2: No, nope, but you? it's simple. Broker, no, the broker is slow to pay, also you know, illegal to go past 24 or 48 hours in most states, but you'd be surprised how many times we hear this. I would add to that, because it's not a future point, um, some brokers don't even carry E&O insurance which also yeah, seems completely crazy to me, right? So any of that kind of thing, just totally unprofessional. Back to you. That's actually That's really – I yeah. should have
1: that as a point. That's a good one. If your broker doesn't have E&O insurance and expect you to buy the policy yourself – and I'm, you know, I know in some cases they'll make you pay for E&O insurance for every transaction you do. That's not what I'm talking about. Some brokers just don't have it because I guess in some states it doesn't require it. I would not ever go with a broker that didn't have an E&O insurance policy. That's just insane, all right, so I don't know why a brokerage would even consider having any business would consider being in business without some sort of errors in emissions policy, no. whether you're in the brokerage business or not. All right, next point. Uh, this kind of goes back to the previous ones, but it's still a good one. Point number eight, you don't feel challenged in, uh, at your brokerage office, and it's wall-to-wall complacent people, and you need a new environment. That's what we talked about before. That's a big one, guys. Um, you'll be surprised. Your environment in general is probably one of the biggest uh, determinants as to whether or not you're gonna be successful. And by that I mean literally where you live, the people around you, your neighborhood, you know, everything. Where what you're surrounded with all day shapes how you think. And if you're in an environment like I'll I'll give you a personal example. Julie and I Did not realize how big the world was until we left Columbus, Ohio, on a vacation. (laughs) Until we literally started traveling around to different parts of the world and different parts of the country, that we did not know how much more affluence there was. We did not know how how big of a life you could actually live until we looked outside of our own backyard, Um, and that is that's something that plagues all of you listening. There's an interesting statistic, I forget, I think it's the Social Security Administration or something, that most people are born and die within like a 50-mile radius of the exact same spot. And most of you who are um, listening, you've never really traveled. You've never really had exposure to anything outside of your immediate market. You don't know what that's costing you because it's actually – limiting your ability to see beyond your own immediate environment. So let's scale this back and just think about your office environment. If your office environment is not conducive to your long-term success, and the best way to know that is look around your office. How many millionaires are there, right? Look around your office. How many people who are there who have been in the business for longer than you, which, you know, 20 years, 30 years, how many of them are – People you'd want to model yourself after. How many of them, some of you are going to have that. Some of you are going to have fantastic agents in your office. But most of you aren't. Most of you walk around your office and you say to yourself, by the grace of God, there goes I. I hope not. You're thinking to yourself constantly, I hope I'm not in this position. I'm not going to be in this position. I'm not going to have to be at this stage in my life like these other agents having to still hustle for money. Well, guess what? If you stay in an environment like that that does not allow you to manifest bigger, bolder thoughts and dreams and intentions, yes, you will. All right. So next points, uh, Julie.
2: Yes, point and nine I, I, I Yes, yeah, sorry, I'm was shutting up my uh, premier coaching call. Okay. So point number nine is the broker office uh, offers no profit share. This is part of the new model that we're going to be talking with you about on future calls. So I'm leave it at that for now. Uh, point number ten related to that broker offers no new opportunities to purchase stock or offer stock rewards. Many brokerages are public companies. Only only one offers stock rewards and discounts is what you wrote. Um, So no upside, really. You're just kind of hanging your license, doing your deals. Uh, A little mini point I wanted to point out also, Tim, that I hear from Premier Coaching clients, sometimes they don't prospect or do lead follow-up outside of the little tiny radius around their office, which is also limiting, you know, related to your point, the world is a lot bigger than your office surroundings. And I also hear sometimes that you don't – when you go on a higher-end listing, you don't want them to find out where your office is. If you're having those thoughts, you probably need to make a switch. And I'll toss it back to you because I've got to get to Premier.
1: Well, so, yes, and do a great job today, as I'm sure you will. So those of you who are in Premier coaching, make sure you go to Julie's uh, live Premier coaching call, which is happening now. She touches on a really good point. Remember we were talking earlier, listeners, about the fact that bricks and mortar locations are kind of obsolete, and if you're a broker, that should be an absolute relief for you, that that's not really going to be an expectation for agents wanting to choose your office as to whether or not you have a physical location. I know Julie and I were briefly involved in the ownership of a Remax franchise, and I can tell you by, by briefly, here's exactly what happened. We were given um, essentially ownership or partial ownership in this brokerage they wanted us to help us. They wanted us to help them build it, and then we get into the. We looked at. I only had to look at one spreadsheet. They sent me one spreadsheet of the profit and loss, and they were making no money in most months. They were actually having to. The owners were actually having to sell trans sell units of their own production to keep the lights on, on the brokerage. And this has been going on for years. That was how. And this was in our 20s. This that was my little first. Uh, you know. 4A, uh, how do I want to say it? I'm on cold medicine, as you listeners can tell. That was my first glance behind the curtain to know how unprofitable brokerages were. Um, So Julie said, if you're in a market where you're wanting to expand, if you personally, like let's say most of your transactions are happening within the same geographic region as your current office, and you're fearful of going across town and trying to go after business because you don't want somebody to ask you where your office is, and that does come up, especially with uh, upper-end sellers. They're going to be very focused on where your geographic uh, market is. It's an old way of thinking, but most of the upper-end sellers are going to be people that are going to be 50 and older, so they're going to have that more traditional way of thinking about brokerage, right? Right. The nice thing about having a virtual office is that you could explain to that seller that your office is everywhere, that you work everywhere because of the fact that you're not uh, essentially tasked with just working in one small geographic area primarily. Some of you might not understand the ramifications of that because you've not been in the business long enough. Others of you will totally understand, and you'll see that the traditional model of having a physical location for a brokerage really is obsolete. Um, So look, guys, tomorrow we're going to talk more about – we're going to shift slightly and this one, I think, is probably going to be a little bit closer to many of your hearts. Uh, that's uh, The call show tomorrow is for those of you who are brokers who are trying to decide whether or not you want to continue to be a broker. And I'm going to share with you all the things that I've learned about, um, essentially, the modern rendition of brokerages from these – most of the ones, we're going to, information I'm going to be sharing with you is going to come right from the uh, average, I would say, brokerage who has maybe 200 agents who has uh, his his maybe affiliated with the national brand, but usually we work with a lot of medium sized independent, small and medium sized independent brokerages. That's who our primary customers are on the brokerage side. And I'm gonna give you the real bottom line about what it's you know, what you guys are experiencing. Many of you will know this already because I'm just telling you what you already know. But I think when you listen tomorrow, you're gonna feel a slight sense of relief because you're gonna realize that the problems you have are the same problems that every other small, medium-sized broker has, and and unfortunately, the brokerage problems that you have are going to be compounded in a changing market. Nothing is going. Your cash flow, for the most part, will not improve. Agents will not become less demanding, you know. And all these things, all these problems that you've been able to cover over with good cash flow because it's been a seller's market, they're all going to change. And I want you guys to be prepared. And agents, I want you to listen tomorrow as well because you're going to have a hell of a lot more empathy for your local broker after you hear the problems that they're challenged with on a daily basis. And then what Julie and I are going to do is we're going to propose a solution to all of you. We're going to give you what we would actually do if we were active brokers or if we were active agents. We're going to tell you exactly what we would do considering all the changes that are happening in our industry and the overall uh, economy and specifically the housing market, right? So that's all going to come. Let's see, tomorrow, let me make sure I can get through all these points. Yep, so we have 10 points for you guys tomorrow, and we'll share all those with you tomorrow. In the meantime, if you need us for anything, it's Tim at com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow.
0: This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs,